Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Again, Happy Mother's Day. If you haven't had an opportunity yet, please, uh, please thank your mother for allowing you to survive to the age that she allowed you to survive by, because I'm sure she, at one time or another, wanted to kill you. And she tried to convince your father to do it, and he wouldn't do it. So, <laughs> But, you know, there's something special about this relationship between a mother and a child. You know, this a mother uh, has a child and, and creates this, this image of herself and, and, and her husband. And, and, and the child can bring you such joy and such laughter, you know. You know, they, 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 they'll, they'll go out and they'll pick dandelions and they'll bring them into you, you know, and you're like, oh, isn't that just, isn't that just special? You know, and it just, it melts a mother's heart and, and there's just this special joy that comes from it. But as, as they begin to grow, they, they, they do this thing and, and it's called free will. We all have it. And so they start exercising their free will. And as they get older, they exercise more of it. It's the one time we do exercise they begin to bring pain and anguish. Hopefully the pain is small and anguish is usually because mothers are worried about their kids and what they're doing and what they're going to do. But see, I think in the end, I don't really think we would want it any other way. I mean, why why would you want someone to love you because they have to? Wouldn't you rather they love you because they want to? And because they, they just adore you, not always agree with you, cause you trouble, but they still love you. I mean, people still have children today knowing that there's a possibility that one day they're going to rebel against them. Guess what? God is no different. God has children and they rebel. Now, as we go through this series, um, as I said last week, if you have any questions, and I know today the slide is in there. There, now he's awake. So let's go pull that up. If you have any questions, I don't know if you can read this. If there's an Ask the Pastor um, button on our website at www.livingfaithmc.info, or you can text me a question at 222-7194. That's the church's Google number. It'll come to my phone and my pad. I won't answer those questions now, so don't text them now. But later on, or if you have a question, just call me at home or on my cell phone, and I will I will try to answer it. I want to make sure we understand what we're going to be going through here. You know, we said last week that the the according to Scripture, according to the ancient Hebrew, that the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, as they're called in, in, in Hebrew, were present when God created the earth. In fact, they shouted for joy at his creation. I mean... Think about that. I, you know, I, something good happens in my life. I come home and my kids and my wife are all excited. You know, can you imagine? As God is creating the earth and creating everything, the the angels are just are singing and the sons of God are shouting for joy. And like us, the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, the spiritual beings that are God's counsel are just like us. They are created in God's image. 
You do a whole sermon on what that means. What that basically means is they are his representatives in the spirit realm. You and I are his representatives here on earth. And part of that is that he gives us free will. He also gave them free will. And they were with him in the Garden of Eden at creation. See, Eden was God's home on earth. He was there. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And wherever God is, his counsel is. They met there. It says in Ezekiel, it talks about the fact that there were that there was a certain one, a certain Benai Elohim that was there in the garden. In Ezekiel 28:13, it says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. See, we, we, we gotta we, we think of gardens, you know. I, I worked yesterday and planted all of my I planted a whole bunch of carrots and beans and and uh, uh, all kinds of plants that I could think of. And just took all took all afternoon planting all these plants, these seeds outside. And that's what we think of as a garden. Our, our, you come to our house, you realize that we have a lot of plants, a lot of flowers. My wife is crazy about flowers. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you guys this. I probably have. But when we moved here, mm-hmm. we brought over 100 plants with us. The real estate agent, when we sold the old house, says, now don't take anything that, so, you know, don't take so much that you can't, that they can tell that it was taken. They had no idea that we took any plants. Now, let's tell you how many plants we had up there. We brought 100 plants with us. So we think of that as the garden, right? But you've got to understand, in ancient thought, in ancient religions, the garden was the place of the gods. And actually, not only was it a garden, but many times you'll hear, you'll hear it called a mountain. We, we, we read about a lot of mountains in the Old Testament. We have Mount Sinai, where God met with Moses, and his counsel was there with him. And you have Mount Zion, which is the, the, the place where the temple is in Jerusalem, or was in Jerusalem. You have Mount Hermon, which is where we're going to talk a little bit about today. You have mountains that are important. These were places, these were considered the home of the gods. So Eden was considered this place where God interacted with earth and his counsel was with him. And like us, like I said, the Elohim, the Benai Elohim, which is the sons of God, were created in God's image and they had free will. So as God is going through creation, as he's created the earth and he's created animals and he's created the ground and the sea and the plants and all the, all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, he comes down to the sixth day. And this is what he says. Genesis 1, 26. He says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, God announces his intention of what he's going to do. Now, the question I have is, who was he talking to? And I know that a lot of times people will say, well, he's talking to himself because he's talking to the Trinity. Because the Trinity is there. We know the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. God was there. Jesus was there. In fact, because we know from the New Testament that all things were created through him and in him. 
But the problem with that thought is the fact that why would he have to announce it if he's God? The Godhead share knowledge. Now, there are a few things that they don't all know because we know that Jesus does it and the Holy Spirit do not know when Christ is coming back. Only the Father knows because Jesus himself said that. But for the most part, that's the only place we know of that they don't share knowledge. So we, why would he be announcing it to himself? Well, self, I'm going to create man. You know, that doesn't make sense. So who was he talking to? Well, obviously, since his counsel is there, that is who he was talking to. He says, let us create man in our image. The council has no say in this. He does not go to them and say, hey, like he did, remember we talked last week, we talked about with Ahab. He doesn't go to them and say, "How? what should we do next? He makes a decision. They have no say in what's going to happen. In fact, they don't create because only Yahweh has the power to create. There's no God like our God. There may be other spirits there, but they are not God. They are not like him. So, because it's so God created man in his image. It's interesting because in verse 26, he says, let us create man in our image. But then what does he do? He creates man in his image. Those words matter. Because what we learn from that is we learn that there is something similar between us, God, and the Benai Elohim, the council. It means we share something in common. We are like the Elohim in some way. Well, we know the Elohim are spirits, right? We know that because they're in the spirit realm. But we're not spirits. I mean, I'm solid. I can't walk through walls. I can't magically appear someplace else. It's not that we look like them. Because verse 27 clarifies that God made us male and female in his image. So it's not... And most of the time when we see the Elohim or we, you know, we see angels, they're either male or they're gender neutral. We don't know what their gender is. They're mostly always male. No offense, ladies. I know it's Mother's Day. And you may think your mother's an angel. Because she thought you were an angel at one time. She might have thought you were a fallen angel sometimes. But understand... Normally, they're male. So that's not, it's not a physical thing. There's something else. And like I said, it's not, it's not the council that does the creating. There's sometimes that God says, okay, guys, what are we going to do? He has a plan. How are we going to get this to happen? And they'll come up with a plan, and he says, okay, go do it. He did that last week with Ahab. But many times, God does the stuff. He actually does the creating. He did the creation. Only he can create. Now, a better translation, when we look at made us in his image, it's more of, it should be, we were created as his image. Because the idea of an image is, I am his representative. We represent God here. And if you think about that, that makes sense. The Great Commission, go. Go to all the nations, teaching them. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus went all over Israel, all over into Samaria. When a disaster happens and the uh, 
Samaritan's purse goes in. Is that God going in? Obviously it is because they are representing God going in for mercy. When we love on each other and we share, we help each other through times of trial, what is that doing? That is God helping them. You know, people wonder, I, I was reading this, and this is not in my sermon, so I'm going to be in trouble, but that's okay. I was reading this thing about, about the fact that God, how does God interact with us? Now think about this. A lot of times, you know, we wish when something, when, and I need something from God, what do we want him to do? We want him to magically come down and make it happen. But you know how he normally does it? He uses people around us. That person gives us a call and says, hey, what's going on? Well, why are you calling? I don't know. I just felt like I needed to call you. Somebody brings you something that you need. Money magically shows up. Not magically, and I use that metaphor, not really magic, but unexpectedly, let's put it that way. Shows up. How? Because God knew, and God used people around you to interact with you and do his will. That's how he works. So we are his image. We are his representative here on earth. I mean, and that puts a lot of pressure on us, really. I mean, we represent the creator of the universe. And then we wonder why there's all these rules and regulations in Scripture, because you're representing God. And free will is part of that, though. So we got to remember that. He's granted us free will, which means we can and we will make the wrong decision and we will probably rebel against God. We all have. In fact, it's a guarantee that we will all be rebels at some time in our lives because only God, only, only Yahweh is perfect. Nobody else. All the Benai Elohim, they're imperfect. You and I, we're imperfect. We're going to rebel. It's just the way it is. God knows it. He is the only one that he can trust. And that's why things begin to go wrong in Eden. There's no indication of Scripture. You want to make sure you know this. There's no indication of Scripture that any of the Manai Elohim are evil before the fall. They are doing exactly what God wants them to do, including Satan. And there's a whole, I don't have time to get into Satan himself right now, there's a whole line of thinking about Satan. Because Satan really didn't become the, the serpent in the garden in our thought until the time of Christ. But understand, he was not evil at first. No place in Scripture does it show that they are evil at creation, that they are against God. But they do have free will, and things are going to change. So here's what happens in the garden. Now, the serpent, and I, I want to... Yeah, I'll do that. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. This is Genesis 3.1. That the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see his craftiness? He didn't lie. He changed it a little bit. Did he say you can't eat of any tree? He knew the answer. No, God said you can, only, you can eat of anything in the garden except for one tree. But we're not going to get into that. 
Now, in Hebrew, the serpent is the Nahash. And we've got to understand that I always ask this question. Now, now first of all, why would Eve talk to a talking snake? Snakes don't talk today. Unless you're, it's Hollywood. They don't talk today. Was she surprised to see a talking snake? Well, no, because they didn't talk, and it wasn't a snake. I know it says serpent in Scripture, but the word is nahash. And the problem is, is that in Hebrew, in the Hebrew Scripture, the old writings, the vowels are gone. There are no vowels. So there are words that are similar, and a guess was made. It sounds like it could be nahash. It actually is, it is, it's a word that actually means deceit. So it's either the fact that it was Nahash and they were using it as a metaphor to make us think that he's the deceiver, or it meant that he was just a deceiver. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's not a salvation issue. It doesn't matter. It's just kind of interesting because it's the word, no matter what word you choose, you still get deceiver. And he chose to reject God's authority. See, God had a plan for Adam and Eve. And their plan, his plan was for them to have children and to spread Eden over the whole world. Eden was only a garden in one area. And his plan was for them to spread Eden all over the world. That's a pretty big task. But they were going to do it. They were going to be fruitful. They were going to have lots of children. But see, the enemy did not want that to happen. So what does he do? He convinces Adam and Eve to sin. And in the process, Satan puts himself in the place of God. He had a better plan. Let's give them some knowledge. Let's give them, you know, you, you, won't, you won't die from this. You're just going to know like God knows. Isn't knowledge good? No, not always. All depends on what you do with it. There's a lot of people in this world who have a lot of knowledge that have no common sense. And they're doing stupid things. And I'm not talking about people who wear masks or don't wear masks. That has nothing to do with it. I'm talking about people in power who have no clue what they're doing. But they're very, they have a lot of knowledge. See, the fallout that happens when Satan does this is far greater than I think he expected. He didn't have. He's not. He doesn't have foreknowledge. He doesn't know everything. He didn't. I don't think he realized. He thought, well, maybe I'll just. I'll set him off on a different course, and I can ascend, ascend to the throne of God. I will be God because I gave them this knowledge. I'm the one who supplied the knowledge to them. They'll look to me rather than to the. I'll just say this: what they say sometimes, the old man sitting in the chair up in heaven. But the fallout was greater. Not only was man thrown out of God's home, Eden, but Satan also was banished to the earth. He no longer, no longer can go into the throne room of God. Oh, you say, well, what about Job? It says that the, the accuser entered. We don't know that that was Satan, by the way. It was just someone whose job was to go out and find people who were doing wrong and bring them back and talk to God about it. But we do know that he, Satan is banished to the earth. And on the earth, death reigns. We now die. Death comes onto the earth, and we are going to die. Life is not everlasting on this earth. 
So instead of ascending to the throne of God and becoming the Lord of life, Satan becomes the Lord of the dead. He reigns. He rules. This is his earth. For now, God still owns everything, but he gave it to him temporarily. Now think about this. I got to think that God, as a mother, you guys, you know, and when your child does something they're not supposed to do that's pretty drastic, that has ramifications that go far beyond just, you know, it's not that they just stole something, it's that they're now going to go to jail and you're not going to see them for a while. Now, what would that do to a mother's heart? I mean, I can understand God's heart was probably broken. God has emotions. It says he laughs. He gets angry. It says in Ezekiel 28, 14 through 16, this is what it says about Satan himself. He says, you are an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade you will be, you will be filled with violence in your midst. You, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. And what God does is God puts enmity or hatred between the offspring of Eve, which is us, humanity, and Satan's offspring. And you're like, well, yeah, that's why women don't like snakes. I'm sorry. Jeff Klitz doesn't like snakes either. He's not a woman. No offense there, but he's not a woman. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about Satan's offspring are those who are against God. And, and we, we see a place in, in the New Testament where Jesus is talking. He said, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, your father, you're the father, you're the father of the father of lies is your father. You are his children because you are against God and his wishes. So that's what it is. We are now at enmity, at hatred. The people of the world who are following the ways of the world hate us. Why? Because we are the children of Eve. We are the children of God. You wonder why the world hates us. That's why God put it in the children of the serpent. So man and woman are cursed. They're expelled from the Garden of Eden. They're expelled from God's presence. And it doesn't take long for trouble to begin. You know, when, when the kids start doing something wrong, it doesn't take long for it to exponentially grow, right? They do one thing wrong, and it just, it just snowballs, especially when they're together. We let the kids play down in the gym. One kid does something wrong that they probably shouldn't do, and what does it happen? It, it gets worse. All the kids start, they do. They just, it's like they... They catch something from everybody else and they start doing all the wrong things. It doesn't take long. Cain kills his brother, Abel. And as human population is growing, they begin to do evil and more evil. And, and we think, well, boy, that was, that, was, that was bad. But it gets worse. It gets much, much worse. We go to, back, we go to Genesis 6. And this is what God said. It says, The Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of thought of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I, I got to ask, I, I, I'm sure some of you probably feel like I do, that I think we're getting there again. I think the only thing that holds us back is the Holy Spirit. But there's wickedness. Now, if you were to ask, if I was to ask you what made it go downhill, most of us would probably say the garden. You know, Adam and Eve fell, Cain killed Abel, and from there, just progressively, like we said, things get worse and worse and worse. But if you were to ask a Jewish person from the first century, or a Christian from the first century, or from the second temple period, you'd get a different answer. See, what they would say that, yes, the fall was the beginning. The fall was the fall of man. Sin enters man, and we begin to screw things up. But there was more to the story than just one rebellion and more than one rebel. Satan was the original, but there's more. The evil spread into humanity is linked to Genesis 6-5 in the second temple worldview. Remember, I I talked about last week that we we need to have the worldview of the original writers and the original readers. What was their worldview? How did they view things? Because that's who this was written. This was not written to you and me. This was written to them. So how did they interpret it? And what did they feel about it? And we have to go back to verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6 to see why things were getting bad. And this is what it says. It says, When man began to to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were, who were of old, the men of renown. Uh-oh. That's one of those strange parts of Scripture that we don't like to look at and read. And many pastors won't preach on because they don't understand it. They haven't gone back to the original Hebrew. They don't, haven't gone back and actually thought about how did the second temple t- period think about that? How did it work into their worldview? Many people think that it's just weird, and they try to interpret it in a way that doesn't make them feel so strange. But see, pieces of this story can be found throughout Scripture and in many Jewish traditions outside of the Bible. And the New Testament writers were familiar with and quoted these things in their writings. So I want to look at a couple of references here to this rebellion in the words of Peter and Jude. In 2 Peter 2, 4-6, this is what it says. It says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. He goes through three things that go happen. First, we have angels who sinned and God puts in prison. That's Genesis 6, 1 through 4. 
Then he talks about the flood. Well, that obviously is the flood story. And then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. So where did Peter get this information? Where did he find out that the angels are held in chains and, and put in hell? Or Tartarus was what the word was used for that. Where does he get that? It's not in the Old Testament except for 1 through 4. And did chapter, chapter 6, 1 through 4 of Genesis say anything about chains? Well, no, where did he get that? It's not in the Old Testament. So there had to have been extra biblical sources that they looked at, and they believed that that was true. And he was familiar with it, so much so that he mentions it in his letter. And just in case you think that Peter was a crackpot, which he may have been, we have another writer of the New Testament that references the same thing in Jude, Jude 5 and 6. It says, now, Jude says, now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So understand what they're both saying, that there are angels, there are Benai Elohim, who are held in chains in darkness, waiting for the day of the Lord, waiting for judgment. Where did he get that? Where does it come from? Where did he get that information about chains, angels and chains and health for the final judgment? Well, we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we know from many of the ancient writings where they got that information from. And that information comes from a book called First Enoch. Understand, we do not believe, and they didn't believe, that Enoch wrote it. It's kind of like, who wrote the book of Joshua? It wasn't Joshua. So why is it called Joshua? Because it's about him. The book of Enoch is about the Enoch. Enoch, who was on the line of Adam, who was there before, before Noah. He was Noah's grandfather, I think. I'll have to look it up. But he was a descendant of Noah. He walked with God, and then he was no more. He was taken by God. But that's all we know about him in the Bible. But there's extra biblical writings that they believe may tell the story, at least culturally, tells the story of what happened to Enoch and why. It's not, it's not canon scripture. It's not inspired. In fact, in it, it says this is not to be part of the, 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 the canon. But you're to know it. But it's not inspired works. It's not sacred. It was probably written sometime between 300 and 100 B.C., and portions of it can be found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found at Qumran. There's also a full copy of it at, in the Ethiopian church. And while it's not considered historical fact, Peter and Jude thought some of the content of it was important enough to include in their letters. It gave purpose to what they were saying. And what this source says is it speculates that the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, that we know we're at creation because Job says they were, wanted to help humanity by giving them divine knowledge. There's that knowledge again. Remember the tree? What was the tree called that Adam and Eve ate what they weren't supposed to? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yeah. So the Elohim come down and give knowledge. And in the book of Enoch, I've read it, it actually talks about the things that they tell them. They teach them how to make weapons. They teach them how to do war. 
They teach them how to wear makeup and how to seduce. And guess what happens when they, when they seduce, when they're not a seduce? The, the Benai Elohim fell in, fell in lust or love with some of the daughters of men. And they crossed. And the spirit realm is not to cross breed with the physical realm. That's why it concerns me when we start messing with genetics. Because genetic, genetic manipulation was part of what they did in the book of Enoch. Should we be doing it? I don't know. I question it. I, I, I don't really want to get into that right now. But, but you think, start thinking this is kind of strange. What? Angels having children? That makes sense, right? But there's nothing in Scripture that says that angels can't. In fact, if we look at Scripture, when, when Abraham was sitting under the tree... The angels came and they ate with him. They can eat food. There's nothing that says they can't. When they take on human form, that they don't fully aren't fully functional humans. There's nothing that says it. So we have to think about it. And, and, and I'm not. I'm just saying that this is this kind of forms our ideas and forms the ideas of the New Testament. And it also gives us ideas about things we really don't fully understand. In First Enoch, it talks, gives an explanation of where demons come from. Now we think of demons as fallen angels. When you know we say that you know Satan, Satan rebelled and had a, a battle with Michael and took a third of the angels out of the, out of heaven. We were taught that. You understand that it says it took a third of the stars. It never says angels. It may. It, we, it's really we don't know if that's actually what it means. That it was. It could have been a third of the stars that he takes out, the actual stars that light up the night sky. We don't know. That's okay. Either way, it doesn't matter. What we do know is in the book of Enoch, the fallen angels were not what we think they were. That's my phone. They believed that the, that the, fall, that the demons were the spirits of the Nephilim. The Nephilim, remember, were the, the children of the sons of God and the sons of man who were on the earth at that time. They were basically half-breeds, part Benai Elohim and part human. And they were Nephilim. They were big. They were giants. And when the flood came, they were destroyed. That was part of the reason for the flood, why God destroyed everything. So what happens God says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow them to come back to heaven because I don't want the spirits to come here because their spirits, they are there on earth. They were created on earth. That's what they are. And they were stuck here. So the demons are spirits who are stuck here and they want to re-inhabit humans. They're not intelligent. They're not, they're probably the lowest rung of the spirit realm. But they want to repossess humans. And we see that in the New Testament as Jesus is going around and pulling them out of people who are suffering. And see, and when it's interesting when, when Israel is brought out of Egypt and God sends them into the go, they wants to, he wants them to go into the promised land, they encounter the Nephilim and the Anakim and the and the Raphaim, or the different names for them, when they're told to retake the promised land. And actually, it's interesting when God sends Moses, tells Moses to send spies out and to see the land, he sends out these spies, and some of them return. 
And this is what they said in Numbers, Numbers 13, 27 through 28. And they, and so they told, told him, we came to the land in which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. They brought like fruit. I, I, I think of you know, like giant grapes on a, on a pole being carried out of, out of the promised land to show. He said, but they said, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And if that's not enough, it says, and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And Anak is believed in Jewish tradition was a Nephilim from Genesis 6, 1 through 4. So God, they decide not to take the land, and they disobey God, and God sends them to wander the desert for 40 years until that generation of Israelites are dead, and the next generation, except for two, Joshua and Caleb, the only two who said, we can take this land. And 40 years later, Joshua will lead the army and begin conquering the land. If we look at every place that God said, destroy these people completely, every man, woman, child, animal, kill them all. Every place that that happened, it is tradition that that is where the Rephaim were, where the Nephilim were, where there was bloodline of the giants from Genesis 6, 1 through 4. He tells them to wipe them out. But the nations, the, the cities where they weren't there, he says, Kill the men, take the women and children, take all the goods. Everything else had to be utterly destroyed. God is wiping out all traces of the Nephilim. And it's not until the time of David that it succeeds. David kills Goliath. Goliath is of the line of the Nephilim. He's killed, and then his brothers are killed by David's men. Now you say, well, wait a minute, whoa, 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 Pastor. I thought you said that they were all killed in the flood. They were. Somehow they came back, and we don't know how, but they did. Either, it's either the sons of God sinned again and did it again, because they didn't die in the flood. They're, they're, they're spirit beings. They, can, they, could, they left. They were protected. Or the line of the Nephilim, the genetic line of the Nephilim, came through one of Noah's sons, one or the other, because there were giants in the land. The giants, people, big people you see today are not Nephilim. They're gone. That line is done. Now, why does this matter? What's the big deal, Pastor? Why do you say this? Well, we can see in Genesis 3 that the fall of humanity in the garden and the curse of the serpent and the leading up to supernatural rebellion of some of the sons of God in Genesis 6 is what we call the beginning of spiritual warfare. There's a battle going on around us. The Benai Elohim, who are against God, are fighting with the Benai Elohim, who are for God. It's going on around us. That's why Paul says we do not struggle against flesh and blood. We struggle against principalities, which has always been a term for demon powers. Or Benai Elohim powers through the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. That's where our struggle is. We're just pawns in this game. But God made us. We're special. He knew this was going to happen. Remember that that says that. Paul says that to us. We're in battle with spiritual forces of evil that have been raging between God and evil since the ancient times. 
We fight this battle on two battlefields. We fight it on the seen and we fight it on the unseen. Now, I know these stories may seem strange, but they teach us some important lessons. God is in divine competition for our destiny. We are, Satan wanted to derail God's plan. And he constantly wants to derail God's plan. So we, how do we fight against him? How do we do this? This opposition against God and humanity is alive and well in both realms. But there's no one like our God. He has plans for, for how heaven and earth will one day be reunified. Evil will not go unpunished. Even though at times it might seem that it does, it will not. You and I are too valuable to God to allow us to succumb to the schemes of the evil one. He called his creation very good after he created us. And look what it says in the book of Psalms, in 139, 13 through 16. It says, For you were formed, you formed my innermost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has written in his book every day of your life. And they weren't even, it didn't even happen yet. He has foreknowledge of what will happen. Doesn't mean he predestines everything. It doesn't. It means he knows what will happen. Now we can trace the start of this war between good and evil back to the decisions by God to create us as imagers. Guess what? It's a family feud. We are children of God. They are children of God. Some of them don't like the fact that we're children of God, and they are fighting against us. That's what's happening. It's two brothers fighting, just like Cain and Abel. Just like me and my brothers used to fight. Right? <laughs> my mom's here. Yeah, we used to fight. But God created imagers, both human and divine, and we all share free will because God doesn't cause evil. God knew that Adam and Eve were going to rebel. He was not surprised. He knows all things, real or possible. He knows all things that won't happen. I can show you that in Scripture, that he knows things that won't happen. But just because he can foresee evil, that humanity and divine beings will do, doesn't mean that he causes it. We sang it. Great is our Lord. He's a good God. He foresaw the fall and was ready with a plan to correct it. He also knew that each of us would soon be born sinners and we would fail. And he provided a way for us to redeem ourselves through Christ. But he didn't predestine our failure. See, when we sin, we must own our own sin. The devil does not make me do it. I am tempted by the world. I'm tempted by my own heart. I am guilty of my own sin. Nobody, nobody can be blamed for my fall, for my falling for temptation. I can't blame my wife for anything. Sorry, guys. I can't blame my mother for anything. Or my father. I am responsible for it myself. I chose to make the wrong decision and do the wrong thing. Nobody forced me. 
We don't like to be. We don't like that. That's not a popular thing to say. But you are responsible for yourself. We must own our sin. We have a choice. But it's amazing the thing that Paul shares for us in Romans. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Understand, bad things are going to happen in this world. This world is falling apart. I don't care what they say. They may think it's getting better. People will tell you it's getting better. No, it's not. It's falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. Evil is part of this world because people and the Elohim, the sons of God, have the freedom to do evil. God doesn't need evil for his plan to work. His plan will move forward despite the evil in this world. And what is happening is God is reclaiming the world. He's reclaiming what's always been his. He's calling the nations. He's going to reunite them, his heavenly family and his earthly family, the council, under Christ, all of us. And next week we're going to look at the third supernatural and human rebellion that set the course for a huge struggle for humanity that will only be solved when Christ comes back again. That's it. It's the only thing that's going to solve the next rebellion. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, sometimes, man, this doesn't make sense, and it's just strange. But we, we, it's because we look at it from our, what we have been taught. We look at it from our church history. We look at it from our own 21st century ideas. And, Lord, it, it doesn't make sense. But we know if we look at it correctly and we look through the whole scripture, the whole word, and we, we can look at the different areas and we see that it is true. This is what was believed. And it makes sense because it answers a lot of questions that we have. And it also shows that we are important to you. You created us. Just as your, your benai Elohim, the sons of God, your heavenly counsel is important to you. But there are some who have are, who are wandered away, who have, who have rebelled, and there are some of us that have rebelled, Father. But see, you, you created a way for us to mend our relationship with you. But you didn't do it for the benai Elohim who rebelled, which is interesting. They look at that and they wonder, wow. And while we are created a little lower than the angels now, we at some time, as, as Paul, or Paul says, we will judge the angels. We are in this struggle, Father, and we cannot do it without you. We need you to rescue us. And you do that by helping us to fight the spiritual battle. And we fight that battle through prayer. And we fight that battle through communion. We fight that battle through coming on Sunday mornings and worshiping and listening to, to, to worship songs and listening to hymns during the week and just reminding, reminding us of who God is and how much he loves us. And we do that when we pray over our children. When we read scripture. When we help each other. We are fighting spiritual battles with those evil forces in the heavenly realm. But we don't do it alone. We do it with you. And we praise you for that. As we move forward, Father, this week, remind us of that. Give us your grace and your peace and your strength.
And we pray this in your name. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.